let's pray, and then we'll get after it. Jesus, have your way. We're going to sit underneath the authority of your word, that you will exalt it, and uh, you will accomplish whatever purpose you have it, and we ask for that in the name of Jesus, that by the power of your spirit, you would teach us this morning. Have your way, Jesus. We submit to you and yield to you. Teach us, please, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So go back to Acts chapter 17. I'm going to start, sorry, Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. You'll notice it says, From Miletus he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called for the elders. Now, real fast, the context again of this message, because it's important to understand who he's talking to. He's got a group of guys who have come from Ephesus And they're having their very first pastor's conference in Miletus. Now, I want you to know that Paul is no fool. If you're going to do a pastor's conference, you do it on the coast of Turkey, right? In this beautiful area. Why would you go into Ephesus? I get it, Paul. I'm with you. Very first pastor's conference, man, they're having it on the beach. They're hanging out with each other, enjoying that. He's no fool. But he calls them together. And he says, you know from the very first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. It's his testimony. How did he live among them? Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. He says, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly And from house to house, pause for a second, consider this. What does it mean to do these things publicly? It's it's no different than your guys' ministry when you go to Aldi and when you talk to the cashier, when you go to Meijer, when you're out and about. That is public ministry, when you're in public. Now, Paul had a public ministry, specifically like what we would consider where he would go and he would preach. He would proclaim things kind of out in the open air or in the marketplace and so on. We get to do that today. It might look a little bit different. We don't have centers of gathering that are like local, maybe here in Lawrence especially. There's no necessarily center. We have to get creative and go places where we can share with people. Um, You have your home. Be diligent, faithful there. You have your church. That's, That's right here, a gathering of believers. And then you have this third place where God would have you go and, and, use, um, and use you to make an impact. <clears throat> so Paul would have this public ministry. But also notice he would do it house to house, where there was this small group where he would get together with them. Remember how we live among one another? It's not just up here from a pulpit. It's not just from some high tower. No, 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 man. These guys were down with everybody. We're with people. So house to house, that's why, by the way, we do home fellowships, because we see that's really important to do it, get plugged into it. Doing life together like that is vital. It's part of Paul's ministry, how the church has always gathered together. They gathered earlier on in houses. As the church grew, guess what? They outgrew homes in many areas. Some would splinter off and still do house churches and so on. When they were allowed to and able to, they would be in buildings in different places that could house them. In fact, the very beginning... They would hang out in Solomon's colonnade in the temple. They would gather together, thousands of them, and they would hear the word of God be taught. So we continue that to this very day. It's so good. I'm really thankful you guys are here. What would Paul do? 
he would, in verse 21, look at it as we get caught up. He would testify to the Jews and the Greeks. Remember, everybody, everywhere. Repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 22, and see, again, who's he speaking to? Elders in Miletus. From Ephesus in Miletus. And now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Pause for a second. Go back to Acts chapter 19. Notice he says here in the section we just read, I'm going bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. Well, where did that start? We've been there before, but in verse 21 of Acts chapter 19, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achai, he said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And then after that, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Now, Paul's going to see Rome. And, uh, the travel fare and all that's going to be paid for by the Roman government because he's going to be a prisoner of Rome. And so Paul will be seeing Rome, maybe under different circumstances than what he had anticipated, but that's kind of the point. And as we, as we go through this, you might see that Paul and the Lord said, go to Jerusalem and then like, go to Rome. And Paul's like, right on, sounds like some fun travel. Well, God's, the way he's going to do it, is probably a little bit different than maybe what Paul had anticipated. And that's kind of the whole point of, of even today, that it might not quite be what you think. And just to be like, whatever you have, God, I think at the end of the day, that's the whole, the whole that we want to leave, is that we would leave this morning saying, God, whatever you want, here I am. <laughs> okay. And so Lord, help us to hear that. Okay. I don't know what's going to happen in Jerusalem, Paul says. Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Well, what, would, what does that even mean? That means when Paul was in Troas, there was a group of believers there, and they were gathering together, and somebody had spent some time with the Lord, and God had impressed upon their heart to go to Paul and just share, I, I think it's going to get rough in Jerusalem, Paul. I just, the Lord is, is speaking to me, and I just have this sense, like, you need to be ready and be aware of what's going on, right? It's something simple like that. Then Paul would have traveled. Remember, he walked down to Asos. Everybody else sailed around. He was at Asos, and, and, there, and somebody else came up, or maybe there's multiple, like, man, we really feel like the Lord wants us just to tell you, get ready. It's going to get rough. Something simple like that. You guys hear it. Those of you, maybe God puts a word on your heart. It's kind of the, maybe the way we would describe it. And it's like, okay, I feel like God has impressed upon me something I need to share with somebody. And you, you then pray, God, is the, what's the timing? God has given you knowledge, but then we want to have wisdom and understanding and how we apply that. And so we just ask the Lord, what do I do? Am I supposed to share this? Is the timing not now? Is it later? Am I supposed just to pray about it? <clears throat> Those of you that have been gifted in such a way, there's a wrestle with that on how we handle it. Well, that, that's kind of all this was. What do you mean the Holy Spirit testifies in every city? Is there like a billboard when he walks into ASOS? No, he uses people. <clears throat> Just like he would today. Same thing. It's nothing fancy. This is what God would do. And I also believe that Paul could have been in Troas or ASOS or wherever he was and just hanging out with the Lord. And he just, he, he, he confirms like, man, I really do. Th I think that where I'm heading in Jerusalem, it's going to get rough. That's what he's saying right here. He's telling the elders there, of Ephesus in Miletus on the beach, maybe, probably, I don't know. But he's saying, hey, it's going to get rough. What do you mean by change and tribulations? Well, just that. Like he's going to become a, a captive or in, of Rome. 
That is what awaits him. What does Paul have to look forward to according to this? Change and tribulations await me. What do you mean await me? Like they await him. <clears throat> like they're in the future. They're sitting there, change and tribulations, and they're like, Paul, we're, here we are. We can't wait to see you. They're just waiting for Paul to travel through life and then eventually encounter these tra- change and tribulations. Paul knows that. He can see them ahead. He sees them. They're waving at him. Paul's like, uh, you know, but they're waving at Paul. We can't wait till you make it here. As time progresses, inevitably you're going to come. And they're just waving him. That's what awaits him. In response to that, with all that in mind, Paul says what he says in verse 24. Let's look at it. He says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Powerful words, and that's why I just can't get through much of it today because, wow, is it so important. And uh, you just just never know what's going to happen when we read words like, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. It resonates differently. It hits different. And I think it's really good for us as a church. Imagine how precious and incredible this is that hundreds of people have gathered together this morning to hear that none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. I'm really thankful that you guys would gather to hear God's word and that this is in it. It's been preserved for us. And we can consider it this morning. What does it mean? We're just really going to look at that phrase, none of these things move me. It actually is seven words. Wow. But none of these things, none of, never mind, it's eight. Doesn't matter. None of these things move me. What does that mean? Consider this. It's an abandonment of the pursuit of living your best life now. You're done with it. You're abandoning that. It's in exchange for living for the glory of God which results in a life of impact and joy. And you guys know how this works. That we live in a world that says, follow your heart. And those of you who know scripture, you're like, don't do that. Don't follow your heart. It's deceitful and wicked. Why would you want to do that? It is tempting though. Follow your heart, your dreams. You guys know the deal. And yet we live in a world that just affirms who you are and tries to build you up in a way that's not godly, in a way that is devoid of him. And we live in a world that's broken, you guys. People are hurting more than ever before, perhaps. I didn't live then, so I don't know. But here we are today. People are hurting and desperate. As the scriptures would say, they have hewn for themselves cisterns that don't hold any water. And they go to draw from all that labor that they've done, and there's nothing there but mire and muck. And they come up empty, and they're thirsty, and they're hungry. It's the world we live in, you guys. We get to come here, and we get to be filled up. We get to drink from God's word. We get to sing about Jesus, and it fills us up as a church. And we get to go out and be used by him. Praise God. But that is not normal. And I also know this. I could be careful because, man, there are people in here who are hurting. Praise the Lord you're here, though. Hope his word ministers to you and the sweetness of fellowship that we get to have together that it would fill us up, that as a body of Christ, we'd minister to one another. But what does it mean that none of these things move me? I'm, I'm abandoning the pursuit of my own life and what I think that I can do and the best that I can cook things up. <clears throat> the best that I can do is, is ruin my life. That's my testimony. 
<clears throat> but it results in a life of impact and joy. And I hope that you know that, that you designed, purpose-built, that'll be next week, I think, who knows, purpose-built to make an impact in the lives of people for the kingdom of, the God, of God. And that, and you would do so with joy. I want to live a life of joy. And so I'm abandoning that pursuit of living my best life now, okay? And I'm following Christ, which will be the greatest life you'll ever have, right? Those of you who are seasoned, you know it. You know what it's like to follow your own life, and you know what it's like to follow Christ. Hard, <laughs> but so good. And over here is hard as well, isn't it? I mean, following after your own desires, your own flesh, yeah, that's hard too, because you end up messing things up, and then you've got to deal with the consequences of your sin, and, and you've got to deal with, like, that's hard, that's hard too. Starts out maybe easy, because you can feed your flesh, ends hard, and Following after Christ, man, it's hard because it's going against my flesh, but it ends with, with, I don't know about ease, but joy, that's for sure. It ends with joy. <clears throat> None of these things move me. Consider that for a second. Those are just phrases. It's a phrase I haven't been able to get past. I'm going to be honest. For a couple months, sitting on this, as time has been allowed, just to be able to like consider these. None of these things move me. It's like, man, that's just really heavy. And it's good. And I hope that it ministers to you guys to consider what it is that moves you. So ask yourself the question, what moves you? And what exactly do I mean? And what did Paul mean by none of these things move me? He was being confronted with the reality of what was coming up in his life, right? Chains and tribulations are awaiting him, waving at him down the, the path. And he's like, yeah, I see them waiting for me, but that doesn't move me. Because what he could do is see them, Right? And then he could kind of step off to the side and kind of take this shortcut around here and avoid those things. He could do that. But he's saying, I'm not going to, because that would have been stepping out of what God would have, have for him, that those trials and those chains were also on the path of glory and on impacting the lives of people and seeing the gospel go forth and seeing people come to life for the very first time spiritually. That's the path he's on. And I think that he would say it was worth it. But what moves us? Consider it. Hardships would move us. And I want you to think about it. Whatever it is that God has you on, that's your path, right? And if I step to the side, like there's a hurdle in front of me, there's a big uh, trial, you could say, in front of me, I see it, and my, my natural inclination would be to move around it and to not engage with it. I, I don't want hardship. Nobody does. But I have to understand my purpose, which we'll get to next week. I have to understand what God has done and also his power. And so as I see that in front of me, I'm tempted. I see hardship. I want to step aside. I want to go do something else. I want to do something on my own. No, Lord, keep me right here where you are, where you have me, right? None of these things move me. Hardship can do that. Um, have you ever I don't, had election results move you where you're like, oh, and you're sad and you've realized you put your hope in something you shouldn't have? Or maybe it's gone the other way where you now put, like, yeah, that can move you. God has you right here. Stay on it. Anticipated or current pain can have you move aside where you just want to be done with it. You want to shortcut whatever God is doing. Man, it's tempting. But whatever God has, it's a matter of just saying, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to stay right here. Disappointments, feelings, relationships, but where are you going to move? You move outside of this thing that God has for you. Check it out. God sits outside of time, right? You guys know these things. 
It's what makes him God. It's what makes him incredible, worthy of worship. He sits in his sovereignty outside of time, and he looks down on us, and he watches and sees it, that you all have decisions to make. He did not program you. You were designed by him. Isn't that cool? 100%, yep. But you get to make decisions. He allows you to. And every decision you make to stay on that little path he has for you, that nothing would move you, right, is an act of worship where you recognize that he knows better than you do and that he loves you and that he's good. And given all that's there, I'm going to continue in the path that he has in front of me. Even though trials and chains await me, I'm staying the course, right? That's what maybe Paul would say, right? Sounds so good. Like, I want to live that life. And I know you guys, that would resonate within your hearts that no matter what, Jesus... I'm following you. <laughs> I'm going to just continue on. Paul has this resolute mindset. No matter what, none of these things move me. And he would go on, nor do I count my life dear to myself. But none of these things move me from the will and plan that God has for my life. I'm going to trust that he has me. I'm going to trust that he's going to take care of me. That does not mean it will be easy. But it does mean it will be good and it will be worthwhile. That's important. I don't want to cut corners, but I want to endure. I don't want to sidestep God's principles. I don't want to sidestep his process. I don't want to sidestep his plan. It's so tempting, isn't it, just to cut corners a little bit, to ease the pain and so on. I get it, man. None of these things move me. What did Paul mean by move me? Like that phrase, is to make an account of or to regard. And so as he sees them coming down the road, he says, I don't even pay them any mind. I don't look towards them. I don't observe them. I don't even value them. I'm not even looking toward these things because his mind was set on the Lord. Consider like Colossians chapter 3. It's 1 through 3, but it's talking about how you set your mind on things above where Christ is and how that singularity of focus allows you to endure a good illustration. I'll just do it like this. This was yesterday. My son was running in a race in Terre Haute at a place called Laverne Gibson. It's a cross-country course. It was like purpose-built for cross-country. They host all kinds of national meets, whether it's high school or, or collegiate meets. Really cool place. Anyway, uh, you know how when you run, you feel miserable, <laughs> okay? Some of you feel miserable way faster than others, depending on your fitness level. But at the end of the day, you're going to feel miserable. And so Corwin's running. I'm like, what can I yell at him? He doesn't ever hear me, but I just yell because I'm a parent. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, look up. Because you know when you're running and you begin to feel miserable, you, your body is, is metabolizing uh, like, like energy sources into energy. And so when you're, doing, when you're running a 5K, you're using what's called oxidative uh, whatever, metabolic pathway where you're converting oxygen into energy. And so it's not a particularly powerful metabolic pathway, but as long as you have oxygen, you've got power and energy, right? You get uh, a little bit shorter of a distance, you know, 400 meters or like, like kind of 60 seconds to three minutes or so, whatever that might be. You're using what's called uh, your glycolytic phase where you're, you're breaking down glycogen and you're turning it into energy. And the byproduct of that is lactic acid. So you guys know when you're running real hard and your legs get pumped and you're like, I can't, 
I can't even move them, right? You get to the end of a 400-meter race or an 800 or whatever it would be, and like, why won't my legs move? It's because you've got like, we'll just say it like this, you've got some acid in there that's like taking the place where oxygen needs to be and energy needs to be, and they're like, you need to get out of my, get out of my muscles, acid. And, and uh, that's what your body is saying to yourself. Get out of my muscles so that I can get oxygen in here. And the more you train, the more your body will listen to you and get that stuff out of your muscles. And so, the, you know how it is. The more you run or the more you do whatever, your body becomes more efficient at clearing out that kind of stuff. And uh, you can do it more. And so at this point in his race is kind of where you start really pushing and your body starts to suffer. Right? You can go through a runner's high. They, people talk about it. I don't ever get it, right? I'm trying to just, Lord, I don't want to be high, so I don't, I don't get a runner's high. <clears throat> Has probably a lot to do. Never mind. Anyway, I don't get it, but you push through that. You come towards the end of the race, and you start hurting. I'm just like, oh, like, Corbin, look up to the Lord, you know, because it's so spiritual of me. But, like, look up. Put your mind on the Lord, right? He likes that kind of motivation, but... He doesn't ever hear me, but like I said, put your mind on the Lord. And it takes your mind off of the pain of what you're experiencing right then and there in the present, perhaps. I would never suggest, by the way, just for clarity's sake, that you avoid things that need to be dealt with. I'm not saying that, okay? So don't take it that way. But there absolutely are times when you're in the midst of a trial, and it's like, I don't know what to do. Other, I got to look to the Lord because I'm going to get swallowed by it because it's hard. I'm following Jesus. I just want him, and for whatever reason, he put this in my path. I don't understand it, but it's here, and so you bear down and you deal with it. Okay, listen, but it's by the Spirit and by his grace, okay? Not your own efforts or energy. That will, we're going to end with that. I'm not going to look at, observe, or value all, any of those things. This is the mindset of a man or woman of God who's wholly devoted and wholly surrendered to the Lord, like whatever happens, happens. Bring it on, kind of, because that's a scary prayer, isn't it? Bring it on, Lord. Scary prayer, kind of. Okay, in case you're wondering, I'm gonna, uh, I just want to put a verse in front of you uh, to help us guide here. Yes, of course, I understand. We're really taking a slow look at this, where Paul would say, none of these things move me. I think it's worthwhile. I think it's where the Lord has us as a, as a fellowship. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. You've heard it a million times. You're going to hear it a million more, just so you know. He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? Whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Paul would have recognized that, right? None of these things move me. I don't count my life dear to myself. I'm not my own. That He's been built for a purpose. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. If God asks something of me, but there's a cost, what am I going to do about it? And you know those places or those times in your lives where you get to those, that point of decision, where you know the cost. If you do this or that, or you say this or that, or you go to this place or that place, and God leads you in it, and there's a cost involved, what do you do about it? You probably justify things, but understanding that God has a purpose is really important. That, that road you're traveling down, that's what he has for you. So you get to trust him. Hey, if you sidestep it, which come on, be honest with me, all of us have. Me included, guys, I'm with you. Or I see what's coming and I see I can shortcut this and I can do something different and I don't have to endure. 
God knew you were going to do that, and he saw it, and he's crafted, and he's made all these things for you. He knows it. According to his foreknowledge, man, he's put these things before you. But this idea of purpose is so important that I recognize that God has made me for something. You as well. Before I knew the Lord, I was 16. I was almost 17. And I was a sophomore in high school. I, I would have told you, looking back, I would have told you I had everything I could ever want. Okay, bear in mind, I'm a 16-year-old in Montgomery County living my life, right? I had the most beautiful woman in the world was my girlfriend, okay? I just so happened to have married her as well. But we were together when we were sophomores. We got together when we were eighth grade. But uh, I got her, so I've got that. Like, oh, yeah, that's good, okay? I don't know the Lord. This, this is me, BC days, okay? And so <clears throat> I've got that um, playing football, right? And I was able to, to start on the varsity team as a sophomore, whatever. Not a, if, anyway, I felt good about it. I'm just going to be honest. I, I was excited about it. I felt good, like it gave me this rapport, and so I liked it. I wanted to be, like, seen and recognized because, I don't know, I'm a sinner. <laughs> um, and then I was able to, uh, as a freshman and a sophomore, I was able to let her on varsity. So I, could, I got to wrestle a lot, and that was the thing I loved. And I was able to put a, a whooping on some of these seniors. It felt really good, just to be honest with you. And, and so I had that, right? I just had it. And you guys know, you remember the time you were in high school or whatever your glory days were, um, where you had it. And it's like, I've got everything I could ever want, as so I thought. But you guys, I promise you this, I would lay down at night, and I'm just like, why do I even exist? I really would. I would wrestle with these things and struggle with them. And I am not a particularly anxious or like, like I, 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 I don't, I, I don't know. I've been anxious like once, I think, in my life. And, uh, and I've been like upset once in my life. Okay, I'm just, you, naturally, I just live life like party. Okay, everything's a party. But, uh, <clears throat> but then it was hard. And I, I do very clearly remember laying in my bed and I would lay my head down and I would think, I don't even want to get up. I don't want to live. What am I going to do tomorrow that's worth anything? And it's like, I've been there and I've done it. I know, 16, some of you guys lived life a lot longer than that and, and, and drove that point home for many years until you recognized Jesus is worth it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I recall sitting in my bed the Lord had been pursuing me so faithfully. And my girlfriend, wife, whatever thing, she's been praying for me, praying, praying, praying for me. And then it was just a matter of yielding to him. <clears throat> you guys remember, we were, this, I'm all in this story because of purpose. And I found, I found the one who gave me purpose. And it meant a lot to me, just so you know. Like, it meant a lot to me. I needed that, you know, but it was Jesus. He gave me that, a reason to live. Tomorrow you get to go and, to work or whatever your life is, and you have purpose because you have him. That everywhere you go and everything you do and everything you say has meaning because it's for the kingdom. And that should move you and motivate you in powerful ways. It really should. I hope that's like the end of today is that you realize none of the things move me. I'm following Jesus, and it's so worth it. No matter what, I want him and him alone. That's like the resolve of a, of a heart that's just surrendered and yielded. That's ideal. We wrestle with it. 
And we struggle through it, don't we? Trying to get there. I'm wrestling with it. These are verses that God, again, has just halted me on. <clears throat> what do I do? Is it worth it? It's important that we know our purpose. And I'm going to actually dive into that way more um, next week. Maybe, you know. So we're going to do this. Go to John chapter 15 in your Bibles. I want to just slow down a little bit. And I want you to actually look at this. And I want to see it. So we're going to turn there. It's not going to be on the screen. I want you to look at it in your Bibles and consider what God has called us to. Remembering the context of the scripture we're in. We're in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. The first eight words. None of these things move me. He's, re he's reporting this to the elders in Ephesus. It's a, it's a mindset and a resolve. It's a heart that is given over to Jesus. That no matter what comes your way, you're following him. Because he's worthy of it. <clears throat> and we're going to see what this looks like. In John chapter 15, look at verse 13. Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And I would like to encourage you that that's what we see Paul doing here. Or because he's so passionate about his love for the Lord and so moved by the gospel, he's willing to do whatever it takes. That if chains and tribulations await him, but he gets to share the gospel, but he gets to invest in people for the kingdom, he would say, none of these things move me. Bring it on. Isn't that sweet? I hear that. It resonates. I long to have that kind of resolve. And I feel like I can, I can muster up just enough for a wee little victory, and then it's like the world comes my way, and I forget, and then I get into my rhythms and my routines, and there's tremendous need to then repent. <laughs> God is faithful and gracious and good. <clears throat> This is the kind of love that Jesus has revealed to us. Listen to this. He loves you. And he has laid his life down for you so that you could be filled with him. And then, through his power, which we're going to end with, you then lay your life down on, for others. You can't do it apart from knowing that life-giving power that Jesus has. <clears throat> All right. Move then to Ephesians chapter 4. You'll find that uh, it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, then Colossians. You can remember God eats popcorn can help you. Or uh, Gentiles eat pork chops. <clears throat> Is another good one. I just think Jepsy is what it looks like. Ephesians chapter 4. Right after Galatians, uh, we'll just look at verse 1. <clears throat> he says, I beseech you, sorry, sorry, sorry. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, or beg you, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Bear in mind, as we are reading Ephesians, that this was written years after the meeting Paul was having with them here in Acts chapter 20. So time has passed. Paul went to Jerusalem, raised a ruckus, and is ultimately sent to Caesar in Rome. And while he is captive in chains and in tribulation, he makes it to Rome. He's in a prison, and he writes 
this letter to the Ephesians. Years later. And he says, as the prisoner of the Lord, not of Rome, I'm begging you guys walk worthy. Who would have heard that? The elders who were there listening to him in Acts chapter 20. They would have heard those words, walk worthy of the Lord, or of that calling <clears throat> with which you were called. That's purpose. God has called you into his plan and his design. He's crafted you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 would say, you are his workmanship. You've been created in Christ Jesus for good works that you should walk in them. You have purpose. God has crafted you for a reason. He saved you for a reason. Hold fast to it. <clears throat> Whatever he has, just say bring it on. Because <laughs> he knows best. Will it hurt? Probably. Will there be difficult times? Yes. Will it be good? Yes. Will there be awesome times? Oh, yeah. Will there be joy? 100%. The whole way through it, you'll see how beautiful he is in the midst of those times. You guys know these things. You've lived it. You guys have experienced this. You have been pastored and shepherded well these last 34 years. We watched a man and his wife, Bill and I, walk this way. We've seen it. Even more so, check it out. Go over to Colossians chapter 1. And we'll reiterate the point I was just making when I get to Thessalonians. <clears throat> so here in Colossians, again, he's in prison in Rome, around 61, 63 A.D. or so. So Colossians... Chapter 1, we'll start in verse 9. This is a, a prayer that Paul has. He says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, don't cease to pray for you, and ask that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. His desire for the church, this is as inspired by the Holy Spirit, would be that we would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Fruitful in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God. Okay, I want to be fruitful. You could look at that and say, so when Paul says, but none of these things move me, he's not moving to the right or to the left because he wants to stay right where God has him because that's the sweet spot of fruitfulness. Is this that abiding in him? Stay right there. Walk worthy of the Lord. I just love it because it just, it means this. Jesus is worthy. Just hold fast to it. Those, um, cisterns or wells that the world has for us that we think are pretty cool. They're empty. We know that. And Jesus is worthy. I could go over here and have people, um, you know, say these things about me or affirm this or whatever it might be. If it's not truth and if it's not Jesus, I don't want it. Whatever you have, Lord, we got to be ready for that. Uh, and then finally, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So keep on turning we're going to get into this section of Scripture where you have five T's and a P. I call it five TP. You can coin it if you want to. Thessalonians and, and the Timothys and then and Titus and then Philemon. But we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and you're going to see some really similar language here. <clears throat> Starting in verse 10, 
Paul writes to them, he says, you guys are witnesses in God also how devoutly, justly, and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. You remember when Paul said, you know how I lived among you and what manner I always lived among you? That he lived in such a way where people could just look and say, oh yeah, Paul was legit. He lived a life of integrity. He says, you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you. There's three things he mentions. Just like a father does his own children. Because he cares for them. He did all of that so that in verse 12, you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. There's the end of it, that we would walk worthy. So when, when you hear Paul say, none of these things move me, that is an example of walking worthy of what God has called you into, right? It's just an example of it. It's maybe like putting language to this, this heart attitude that I desire to have. <clears throat> and that's why I think it resonates so intensely is because I do want that. And I think I also recognize how much I fail to live up to that standard where trials come my way and I just kind of sidestep some things or I don't lean into them as God would have me. I admit it's true. But then I'm, I'm confronted with scripture like this and then it's like, ah, oh, man, Lord, it offers me an opportunity just to say, God, help me. And I, I can personally like repent and just recognize there's areas of, of need that I have in my life and then encouraging you as a church to deal with this as God would have you deal with it. Um, <clears throat> to walk. Whatever down there is waving at you at the very end. And Sometimes don't you seem to like overlook all the beauty of that path that God has you on. All the sweet and precious times that you have. And all I can see ahead of me are potentially fears of these trials that might come. If I really give my life to the Lord, is he going to like, take a kid from me? Like, what's going to happen? You know what I'm saying? Like, it gets hard. Is something going to happen to my family if I just surrender to the Lord? The answer is maybe, but don't worry about it. Enjoy him, right? Keep your mind on him. Like, he's got you. Oh, it's easy to say, isn't it? So easy to say, really hard to live out. We're going to finish it up with Colossians chapter one. So go ahead and turn back there. In uh, this, this scripture I have to answer the question, how do I do this? So you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I definitely want to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm so stoked that there are people in this room that actually want that, okay? That's so much fun to fellowship with you and to be with a group of people who really want to follow Jesus. It's a lot of fun. I really want it. I want to follow the Lord. He's worthy of it, and whatever he has in front of me, I want to walk in it, and I, I don't want to move. I just want to be able to say, none of these things move me, nor to cut my life dear to myself, etc., etc. I want to say it. I'm, I'm there, right there with you. But you can't. That's the whole point, isn't it? You can't, and it requires a, a tremendous amount of trust, like a life surrendered and yielded to Jesus. We'll read it here. <clears throat> Starting in verse 27, to fill you in, when he says to them, he's referring to the saints. It's really kind of to you, but it's to the Colossians. To them, the church, God willed or desired to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Paul's been talking about this mystery, right? It's been hidden from ages, but God has now revealed it. What's the mystery? 
He says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And, and that is my hope. Scripture would say that hope deferred makes the heart sick. So pause for a second and consider that. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You put your hope in something like an empty well, right? Or an object or a relationship or an anticipation of something. I put my hope in it, but it's the world. I've, I've put it in the world or something of the world. And all of a sudden, when it doesn't come to fruition like what I hoped, my heart becomes sick. I'm depressed. I'm struggling now. These are real things we deal with. But again, the whole issue is I was putting it in things that aren't Jesus. What is my hope? It's Jesus and him in me and me being preserved by his goodness and his grace that no matter what I walk through, no matter what comes my way, it's been ordained by God and he's going to take care of me. Does that require trust? You better believe it does. It's almost like it's an act of worship, right? Where you trust him. You count him worthy of saying, here's my life. Golly, guys, isn't that easy to say from the pulpit? It is easy to say. Hard to live out. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If I could say it like this also, put your hope in the Lord. Rest in him. Don't put your hope in the things of the world. He says him, speaking about Jesus, we're preaching. <clears throat> Three different things he says. We preach him. We warn every man and teach every man in all wisdom. Ladies, you're included in that. We're talking mankind, those who he would encounter. We're, we're preaching Jesus. We're warning. That's the word nutheo or like nuthetic counseling. Maybe you've heard of that where it's biblical counseling. When you parent, you, you do that to your kids. You nutheo them. You show them their error. And you tell them how to correct it and how to walk through it. Hopefully you're patient in the midst of it, right? You're showing them how to handle it. But that's like the idea of warning. Sometimes the word will be translated ad admonishing them, where you're revealing. So biblical counseling is just that, where I'm showing, hey, here's what God's word says. And, and your patterns of thinking aren't in concert with what God's word has encouraged you to think. You're not holding on to truth or, or setting your mind on truth. And so changing the pattern of your thoughts to where you set your mind on the Lord, that would be that. So we're warning every man, teaching in all wisdom, and notice the end of this, listen, it's so that we can present everyone or every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul's saying. I'm gonna summarize it and then we're gonna be done. So Paul says, here's the church, all of his people, right now it's the Colossians. He's like, oh my goodness, I've got all the Colossians in his, in his hands, maybe so to speak. They're in the Lord's hands. Just bear with me for this, okay? But Paul, as the kind of the under-shepherd of Jesus Christ to the church of Colossae, he would say, huh, I've got all the church. And he's like, Jesus, look at them. Aren't they so cool? Aren't they so perfect and complete? Like that's Paul's desire. That's his heart. As a shepherd and as a pastor, he would take them and say, look at them. Aren't they so cool? I love this church. They're, they're perfect and they're complete in you. That was Paul's end, that he could take the church and make them look like that, right? Now, it's not him doing it. It's Jesus. We're gonna get to it. Stay strong. He says these things, but it's no different than you as a parent or a grandparent or an employer or an even employee of people who are around you. You could think whoever God has given you to impact, you get to take them and say, oh my goodness, I'm just gonna give them Jesus and the end is that I can present them perfect in Christ Jesus. How cool is that? It's a work the Lord does, as you'll see here. According, I'm sorry, verse 29. 
to this end, the one I just described, right, taking people and saying, oh, look how cool they are, Jesus. Aren't these people awesome? To that end, Paul says, I labor and strive. And those words, if you guys, you familiar with the idea of like copious amounts of something? Like large amounts. Copious, that's the word here, copeo. Large, like, la- like really large amounts of, sh- of, of labor ex- being used here. And then the word striving is where we get the idea or term agonize. So you can get an idea, like there's work to be done. Like that road that, that the Lord might have you on, there's work to be done. And there's labor and there's striving. There's agonizing in the midst of it. Why? Because it's a spiritual battle that we fight for the souls of people. It's serious and hard. But I want to encourage you with this. It is according to his working. His working, not yours, his. This is where you learn to abide. This is where you learn to rest. According to his working and which works in him mightily. That word working, if you guys have Blue Letter Bible, look at it. It's so cool. It's the word energy. We get the word energy. It looks just like energy. And we're not talking new age energy. We're talking about a very personal energy. God who will come and empower you and enable you. Jesus would say abide, same, kind of the same idea, abiding in him. It's his working, it's his power, it's his nutrients that empower you and enable you to do these things, to work mightily. Just so you know, it's not you, rest, 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 rest. Sit back and hang out with Jesus and enjoy him. Just rest. You guys know this, I know it. We go through it, you're probably sick of it. I don't care. <laughs> working which works in me mightily. That's the word in Acts 1, 8, where it's dynamite power, you know? It's the same word here. It's the Lord who does this thing. So you're sitting here saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to know him. I want to make him known. And I want, to, I want to be used by God to impact the world around me for the kingdom, that people would come to know Jesus, and then those who do know Jesus would be encouraged, edified, built up in him. Like, I hope that makes your heart come alive, the excitement of what it means to follow the Lord. Sharing the gospel with people, encouraging the church. That's exciting. It's fun. Um, and the only way you're going to be able to do it is by enjoying Jesus and resting in him. That's it. That's your only hope. Enjoy him. Rest in him. Do that work where you can just sit and know him. No more complicated than that. Enjoy him. We'll end with it. I've, I've used up our time. But let me end with this, Okay. Uh, if you guys would pray, as a staff, we're heading out and we're going to, um, I don't even know where we're going. I have the address somewhere. We're going to some cabin somewhere. As a staff, we're going to get away Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and we just hang out with the Lord. We spend time worshiping and we spend time in prayer and we are like thinking through a bunch of things as we're considering really kind of the road that's in front of us, you know, as a church. And I would ask you guys to pray for us as we get away that God would speak very clearly and that we would hear his voice as far as the direction for whatever he wants to do. Remember, it's his church. We're just like, God, what do you want to do? And uh, we're asking the Lord, are there things that just need, need to just be done and die so that you, we can like move that to like whatever you have, you know, and, and, and asking God <clears throat> as, as pastors and shepherds, like how can we serve differently? What's it look like to raise up more and more leaders that are like, kind of like have this kind of resolve, like no matter what, I'm following Jesus. We're just like, God, what do you want to do? And so if you guys would pray for us, I would be very thankful for that as we get away. <clears throat> um, let me pray for you. 
And uh, I'll, I'll let you out of here. Jesus, we are desperate for you, that's for sure. And we'll just pray and ask that you would move in our hearts. We want to abide in you. We want to sit with you. We want to know you more. I'm so thankful that that's it, that there's not hoops we got to jump through. There's just rest. Show us what that looks like, though. That we could come to this place where I would say none of these things move me. I don't count my life dear to myself so I can finish my race with joy. The ministry that I've received from you, Lord, that sharing or testifying of the gospel of the grace of God, here we are. Here's your church, Lord. You've redeemed us, bought us back. I pray that this morning would be an encouragement, that you would move us now. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you. You're so good. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.